It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The following is a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball Players Edition. Tony Gwynn Jr., Alongside Ben Davis, we have a terrific show for you today. Uh, Jeff Blum, Astros TV analyst, will, will join us. And, of course, with this weekend being uh, the Hall of Fame weekend, uh, we're going to talk about our experiences uh, against, well, at least for me, one of the guys that's going in. Uh, but with, with Roy Holiday, Harold Baines, Mike Mussina, uh, all going in along with Mariano Rivera, uh, certainly a good weekend to have that conversation uh, ben, we're out here in Pittsburgh right now, and let me tell you, it is H-O-T hot, hot, hot. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're going to get into some of our experiences playing in uh, some of these hot, humid climates, but uh, Big Time Baseball Players Edition is a part of Radio.com, which allows you to listen to your favorite radio stations for free anytime, anywhere. Listen to over 300 stations and over 1,100 podcasts. Explore by location, genre, to find or genre to find music, news, and sports from your own location or across the country. You can follow Radio.com Sports on Twitter at RDC Sports. Uh, as I said, we'll have Jeff Blum on later in the show uh, today. But let's start, Ben, with the Giants, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, this team, not too long ago, was not even on anybody's radar. They were last in the division. Uh, not Maybe about two or three weeks ago, they came out and said they were going to be sellers. Uh, looks like that might be changing because... Uh, the Giants are one of the hottest teams in baseball, and they have also, ironically, one of the hottest commodities uh, in, in Madison Bumgarner that could be moved at the trade di- deadline, depending on what they do. Yeah, that game yesterday against the Mets, with 94 pitches through nine innings, you talk about a model. That's efficient. Of, yeah, that is a model <laughs> of efficiency. But I don't know if this is just a, a team that's really starting to figure it out, or this is just, you know what? We have one of the best managers of all time. Yeah. We want to send them off on a good note. And Bruce Bochy, obviously having the opportunity to play for Bochy for, for three years, um, or parts of four years, I should say. 
it was just it was a pleasure going to the ballpark every day for him, um, knowing how he handled a ball club, knowing how he interacted with players. But I think really his type of managerial uh, expertise, the way he goes about his job, I think that way of managing is kind of out the door. You know that the old the old guy that's you know been managing forever. Now they're getting guys that have never even managed in the minor leagues coming up and managing in the big leagues. You know it's obviously more of an analytical standpoint of how they want to go about the game of baseball. But this team, I think Madison Bumgarner, and I, I'm going to say right now, I don't think he's going anywhere. I, I don't think unless they come and just completely blow the doors off the Giants. Some team is you know what we need Madison Bumgarner. We have to have him. And yeah. they just absolutely overwhelm the Giants with prospects and shower them with prospects. But other than that, I mean, just to be two and a half games out of the wild card speaks volumes of where they're able to come from. Still not the best offense out there, but they're yeah. dealing with some pitching. They have a really good closure in the back end and Will Smith and another trade chip, possibly. Uh, but what are you seeing out there in the, in the NL West? Well, well, there's two things with the Giants. First, they don't that organization doesn't do rebuilds. You know, that's not something they're used to doing. Uh, that fan base expects to be uh, at least contending on most years. And uh, I, I think it's what's made it complicated for the Giants this year is that they were clearly not contenders. And all of a sudden, you find yourself two and a half games out. If it continues to go this way, the closer they get to the deadline, they may have to renege on the whole we're selling thing because uh, of, of where they're at. I mean, this, as I said, J- San Francisco just doesn't do rebuilds very well or or, or they're usually pretty quick uh from that standpoint so that'll be interesting i I tend to believe that with far with farid zahidi uh running the helm there baseball operations uh i have a tend i have i tend to believe that they will move bone garner um i I can tell you about the perils uh, for a team that uh is kind of on that fence straddling back in 2010 when i was here in san diego we were a team that was expected to finish last in the division but came come All-Star break, we found ourselves atop the division, and it really forced the organization's hand. Going into that year, there was this five-year plan they had talked about where mm-hmm. they wanted to build up prospects and kind of start the rebuild mode. But, you know, the 25 guys in that locker room paid no attention to that, and all of a sudden, there's pressure from the fans to actually uh, try to win the division. And they ended up trading uh, – they ended up trading – away one of the better pitchers in, in baseball today in Corey Kluber. Uh, we, we, we would get Ludwig back in return at the time who was a terrific outfielder, a power guy that we needed. But, you know, you end up at the end of the story, we end up not winning the division. And now the Padres lose out on a guy like Corey Kluber who could have been manning the front end of this rotation that we're talking about right now. So you have to be very careful when you're one of those teams that's in between or not necessarily supposed to win and your team is is when you have to be realistic do you actually have a shot to advance if you get into the playoffs so uh it's going to be very interesting out here in the west it seems it seems as though it's the dodgers and everybody else so it, it's going to be interesting to see which way they go and again we've talked about it in in our previous podcasts there's only one trade deadline this year, Ben. There's not right. multiple trade deadlines, so that's going to make it even more complicated. Yeah, but you're talking about the Giants. You say they're they're not necessarily in a, a rebuild mode. They're never going to be in a rebuild mode. But if you look at the division, and you never want to concede to your, to your, to your rivals, right? But you always right. know about the rival between the Dodgers and the Giants, and it's a big one. But you never want to concede to them. But do they really think they can beat the Dodgers over the next three, four years? Because the Dodgers have that youth as well. 
You know, no, so, so it's like, why that, not go? Why not go into the, Why not trade a couple pieces, I, get those prospects back, and then start the rebuild? Maybe in four or five years, you might be better than than the I, Dodgers. I ultimately think they will. Uh, 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 Farai Zaidi is one of those guys that is going to push the button if he needs to be. He's shown that in L.A. when he was there. Uh, I, I I just say I'm just saying from the standpoint from the fans' perspective. When you're two and a half out of the wild card, and that second wild card complicates it for everybody, right? Because it gives everybody a fighting chance, and the Giants are no different now. I mean, look, the Padres have fallen all the way to last place in the National League West, and partly due to the way the Giants have played as of recently. So uh, that is going to be something um, that I think we got to keep our eye on. Moving back out to the National League East, though, Former San Diego State Aztec, uh, uh, an alum friend of mine, Steven Strasburg, is having a terrific year and put on a, a really a really terrific show last night in Atlanta where he only went five and two-thirds and, and gave up some runs, but he swung the bat well. He swung the bat well. He seems yeah, like he's having a lot of fun. He had one of those Little League games. It's like, you know, <laughs> right. everyone that's in the big leagues, yeah. no doubt, were the best players in Little League, right? So they, no played, they played shortstop or they, or they pitched. And they drove in six runs with two home runs every day. That's what the game that Steven Strasburg had yesterday. You know, what? he he actually showed some. I mean, he's a very stoic guy out on the mound. Doesn't show a lot of emotion. But he came in at the one time scoring. He went through the Congo line. I was like, That's hey, what I said, Ben. I was what? I was like, I've known this guy since he was in college, and he is the most even killed guy you'll ever meet. Like he doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. Uh, matter of fact, he usually is scowling if you if you catch him out mm-hmm. in the in, in in the dugout in between mm-hmm. innings. So to see him go through the Congo line and have some dancing, I was I was like, is this is that Steven Strasburg right there? <laughs> can't, can't quite tell. But he, he's have he's he clearly having a lot of fun. And not only is he having a lot of fun, he's healthy. And when this guy is healthy, we've seen in the past what kind of pitcher he can be. And for once, he's got some familiarity. It, the the, the the Nationals have had a lot of turnover with their coaching staff, with their pitching coaches, and, and I've known Strauss for a long time. The one thing that he does really well in is having some familiarity. And he's he's all he's been in the same city, but he's had different different coaching staffs. And I think the fact that he's had the same coaching staffs over the last couple of seasons, uh, he's really comfortable in his surroundings and they're seeing the results of it on the field. Yeah, absolutely. Since we're since we're in the East, let's talk a little bit about the Philly staff. I mean, first, can we talk a little bit about what happened between you guys and the Dodgers? Uh, seemed like there was some real emotion going there uh, at the end of end of that last game uh, that you yeah, guys I had. Was, you know, I was doing the game with Oral Hershiser yesterday and, and Scott Braun on uh, YouTube. It was the first ever YouTube game, and we we're doing it. And all of a sudden, you know, you basically. The team wins. Everyone's out on the mound or near the pitcher's mound, high-fiving, going through the line. And I noticed that the Dodgers didn't go anywhere. They're out on the top step, somewhere over the railing. And I'm thinking to myself, something had to have been said. And I didn't quite catch it because we were going into, you know, wrapping the game up and things like that. And then I finally found that out that, you know, Hector Neris, the Phillies' closer, they had a two-run lead at the time. He gave up a home run to Verdugo. Uh, the Phillies ended up winning at 7-6. to six. But I guess Hector Neris has some choice words for the Philly for the Dodgers bench. They took exception to it, and obviously were barking back and forth. And I thought, honestly, I thought it was not handled very well by Hector Neris. Um, knowing Hector, the, the kind of guy he is, I think he just got caught up in the emotion. It's really not his M.O. to be like that. Um, and I think Dave Roberts, on the other hand, handled it extremely well. 
saying how his guys were very professional about it, how they didn't get over emotional. It's just a game. Um, and they, you know, obviously they took exception to it, but it wasn't, I think Dave Roberts handled it very well. And probably you'll see Hector Neris make an apology somewhere along the line. Yeah, I, I played with Hector. Uh, so you're right. It's, it's not really in his character to, to bark like that. Clearly he's been frustrated, especially against these guys. They've, they've gave yeah. him, the, they've given him the business a little bit and, uh, he, he finally was able to get out of a out of a game without with the lead, and you know sometimes that happens. You know you, you, when you look at you look at a couple weeks ago the way Jake Marisnik handled the situation when he was hit, uh, you would like to see all guys handle it like that, but that's just not realistic. Uh, I, I think you can give Hector a, a pass on this particular subject, as you said. He'll probably there'll be some type of apology that comes out. I, I'm sure uh, down the line, but. Um, you just haven't had a chance. You just don't see that very often. Teams, the game ends, both teams stay out on the field. It just yeah. doesn't happen very often. But uh, talk a little bit about uh, one of your guys in that Philly pitching staff, uh, Pavetta. Seems like a lot of people are saying he's having some bad luck. What, what do you make of it? Yeah, the, you know, we get in this analytics stage, right, where it's, um, you know, we talk about all these numbers, all these acronyms for what they, you know, war, wins above replacement. Uh, we talk about exit, uh, uh, exit velocity, um, you know, the stat cast error. Well, we're right in the middle of it. And there's a, you know, certain stats that come up, you know, XFIP or FIP, uh, fielding independent of pitching. Uh, basically, you're, you're factoring in certain numbers that are, are ERA predictors. I'm from, obviously, I, I'm trying to get into analytics, and I think some of them definitely do work. You see a lot of these small clubs win a lot of games because yeah. of it. Yeah. But at some point, you know, I still when I look at when I look at batting, when I look at a hitter, is he a good hitter? You, first thing you look for is batting average, right? No I look doubt. for bat, batting average and RBIs. You have a guy that can produce and produce when you need him to produce. I love the RBI stat. I have actually more of an RBI guy than a home run guy. I know that probably sounds silly, but give me a guy that gives you RBIs. And I'll take him any day of the week. And then conversely, on the pitching side, I, the first number I look at is ERA. It's right. the bottom line. It's the right. ERA. And, you know, I, I think we're at that point where you talk about, like, Nick Pavetta, got young kid, great stuff. But we always talk about, and that's something that the Phillies are big on, and I, I'm personally not, and, and no offense to the Phillies on this subject, but, you know, the XFIP. You know, they, they always say how that's, he's run into bad luck because the, 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 the FIP, the fielding independent of pitching, uh, they, there, there were some balls that fell in or there were balls that, that blew out of the ballpark because the wind was blowing. All these supposed <laughs> to really factor into, you know, seriously, they're all really supposed to factor in and be an ERA predictor. Well, at the end of the year, just tell me what your ERA is. You know, and I think we're starting to get away from that. And, well, he, well this, his XFIP predicts that he's going to have a good game his next game. Well, how the heck do you know that? You just you, you really don't. And I think that's where some of the teams maybe fall liable to. They, maybe they fall in love with those numbers a little bit too much. I think at some point your eyes have to tell you, you know what, this guy just doesn't have it today. I don't care what his XFIP is. I'm seeing rockets hit all over the yard. Um, I, I don't know, is, is there a rocket predictor? Because, <laughs> I, you know, that's what I'm seeing right now. I mean, that's the tough part about the analytics is you really got to dive into these numbers. And, and then – Especially for guys that played the game, it's it's hard to swallow, uh, especially something like that, predicting that, oh, he's going to have a better outing his next time out based on what these analytics are saying. And it's just like, that's not, that's just not how it, it works all the time. On the flip side of that, you bring up average, that being the first thing you look at, uh, I, it takes me back 
to a couple weeks ago, I think the All-Star break, they had Alex Bregman on, and he was talking about how if he could hit 300, he, I mean, if he wanted to hit 300, he could hit 300. And I think that that is a, that is a mindset that these organizations have put onto these guys because – uh, they don't no longer value batting average anymore, and right. I think you and I who play both know if it was as easy as oh I can hit three hundred if I want to, everybody would be doing it, and they would yeah. be doing they would not only be hitting three hundred they would be doing both they'd be driving the ball and hitting three hundred. But there's a little bit of give and take I think uh, for those who played the game it doesn't work that way. Like you're going to give a little bit on the average or you're going to take a little bit on average to add to the power side. Am I right? And there's very few guys who can do both. Yeah, I think that I, I love Alex Bredman. I love him. He's Me too. a great young face of baseball. He can beat you in a lot of different ways. His swing is as short as anybody's. But that might be one of the most naive comments that I've heard. <laughs> right? Honestly. That's like saying, you know what, Tony? I think if I train for six months, I can make a comeback and go to spring training next year. Right. If you walked into Philly's locker room and told people that, how many crazy looks would you get from those guys in that locker room? Exactly right. You know, so I'm going to hit 300. Well, I, I don't know. That's yet to be determined. I, I don't. It's it is. That's like saying to you. You say you went four for four today, and you say, "Well, you had four hits tonight. I'm going to throw you into the mar because your your swing's so good." You could go over four the next day and strike out. It's All like, four times, right? Exactly right. right you know, right. it's like you you just don't know. I from that aspect, I don't get it. I really don't. <laughs> Neither of us do. Let's move. Let's move to the American League West. And my God, this guy continues to keep constructing teams that nobody thinks about or nobody believes in yet the Oakland A's and Billy Bean uh, have found themselves right in the thick of things they're only five and a half out of uh, from the Astros who by, by one point were like eight nine games up mm-hmm. uh, they've they've been able to shrink the lead and uh, it's pretty much been the same thing it has it's always been when the Oakland is good they play defense and they pitch the ball and they have timely hitting and that recipe has found themselves right in the thick of things once again this year Ben yeah I mean if the season ended today they would be in the playoffs yeah it's, it's just so hard to believe I I think it's because you know they they only draw about I'd say what maybe 12,000 people a night something like that they're living in an old decrepit stadium um, and you just don't hear about them a whole heck of a lot but the, the moves that Billy Bean continues to make, it's just like, I wouldn't say they catch people by surprise because it's, you have a team that, that wins this many games in a row. I mean, they're 8-2 and two over their last 10. Yeah. You know, so it's not like you're like, oh, well, they're, they're okay. They're, they're, they're an okay ball club. Oh, only, only the Giants are better. 42. Yeah, only the Giants are better in their last 10. Giants are 9-1. and one. They're 8-2 and, yeah, and two in their last 10. And you know what's funny is, over the all season, if you're watching sports like I am, uh, on that bottom line, you'll see like a, a little move that you don't pay any attention to, to that mm-hmm. Oakland makes during the offseason. They, they make two or three of these every single year. You don't pay much attention to them. And then come this time of year, come to July, you look at the numbers, and those same dudes that they made moves for seemingly are helping them win ball games. So mm-hmm. I think there's no doubt about it that at this point, Billy Bean – knows what he's looking for, he identifies it, and regardless of what the rest of the industry is saying about this particular player, there's something he likes about it, he goes, gets them, and they seem to work, they, they tend to work out for him. Yeah, and look at their, I mean, you talk about, the, we know that, about the lineup, the Chris Davis and Olsen and the, the big boppers in that lineup. I mean, their run differential is 95. They're yeah, plus yeah. 95. So, obviously, they're doing with pitching as well. You know, they, they took Trinan out of that closers role. Um, you know, it, 
I think that was a good move. But I think also you got to give some credit to Bob Melvin. Yeah, you know, he's a you manager do. that's that's flying under the radar, but he's got these guys coming out and competing and playing every day. The the ball clubs that they have compiled, Tony, over the last two years, I would say really are comparable to the ball clubs that the A's had back in the early two thousands. You know, there are yeah, yeah. guys. It seems like they have fun playing with Eric Chavez and Giambi, uh, Ramon Hernandez, Miguel Tejada. Obviously, that trio of pitching staff with Zito, Mulder, and Hudson. These guys love competing. They love getting after it every day, and that's the joy and exuberation I see on the field. That's the the teams I compare them to right now. That that grew from the early two thousands. From the, that the A's had, uh, you know, stockpiled back then. Which yeah. again, Billy Bean was still a part of <laughs> way back then. He was, a, he was the mad scientist at that point because this whole yep. money ball, everybody didn't know anything about it. And then once it got popular, everybody was doing it. And so I, I think that's a testament to Billy Bean and the job uh, that he has done and continues to do uh, for that ball club. You know, we, we're in the dog days, right? This is the dog days of the season uh, at, at the big league level, really at all levels. This is the dog days. It's the hottest time of year. And you're looking out across the Midwest and the East Coast and – there's some extremely hot weather with some high humidity. Uh, you got any experiences uh, of playing in some of these type of type of games that you well, remember? I know. I'm sitting in my hotel room here in Pittsburgh right now, and I'm dreading. I'm looking out across my window, <laughs> dreading walking across that bridge because when I get over that bridge and into the PNC Park, I'm going to be a puddle. Um, no, it's funny. I was actually talking to some folks the other day. You know, people say, well, the hottest game you ever played in must have been down at, at Florida, at the old Joe Robbie Stadium or down in Texas. Um the hottest game I ever played when was actually in Philadelphia with on the, that turf. The pot, yeah, on the turf. It was one forty. It was one forty-eight on the turf. You know, it was, it was it's it funny. Was, I, yeah. I I remember you guys used to come off the field and they'd have buckets of ice mm. like laid up in the dugout. You guys would come in. I remember my dad doing this a couple times. Come in, stick, go off of the field, stick his foot with his shoe and socks on and pants, yes. stick them right into those buckets, and he'd go back out. And by the time he came back in. Feet were completely dry. Completely dry, yep. <laughs> I was happy. Listen, I was actually happy that day. It was 148, and every every inning I came in, I drank two 16-ounce bottles of water. You were losing Not, it through <laughs> sweat, huh? But it was 148, and I was actually happy because I was in the dirt. You know, at the, at the vet, all oh, the only thing that was cut gosh. out was the dirt, right? The yeah. face pads. So you I sit, was in the dirt, so I was happier. You sit, you'd sit in the dugout, and you could actually see the heat waves mm-hmm. coming off of the turf. That's how hot it was. I think the Hawks yeah. game... I ever played in was in St. Louis, and that's what your dad always said. It was the hottest. St. Louis, and this is what, and he played on a turf, so I can only imagine right. what it was at that point. But St. Louis has this dirt that I don't. I feel like it just sucks in the sun's heat, and, and, it's, like and it, it, it's, it's exactly it's like red. And I just remember thinking to myself at one point because I was the type of guy that always had like the three quarter sleeves. I actually went in and went just jersey. I had to had to take I had to take as much clothing off as I could underneath the uniform wow. in order to get through it because it was just mind boggling. And when I'm I'm watching the, the Padres Chicago game right now, and these guys look miserable. Yeah. <laughs> they they yeah. really do. They it's really hot. do. Uh, but so one of the things that's also happened this week, we've we've had a couple pitchers, uh, com- or at least uh, it tried to achieve a, a no hitter perfect game. Chris Paddock for the Padres got to an eighth, got to the eighth inning, one out. Uh, he would give up a home run to lose it. Uh, you had a combined uh, Angels combined no hitter, obviously. Uh, on the day they were honoring Tyler Skaggs, I, I don't. I, that story is just tremendous. 
Uh, and then you, like I said, you had a near near no hitter in 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 Tampa. This is the type of thing that I thought, honestly, moving back maybe two years ago, that we'd be seeing a lot more of them. Hasn't happened as much, but they're still happening way more frequently than they used to. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's some good arms out there. I remember one time uh, in senior, we got hit twice in the same season. Twice. We got A.J. Burnett, no hit us, and then... Yeah, like 12 uh, walks that day, too. Yes, he did. I, <laughs> and then we got hit, no hit by Bud Smith. I remember going in and just, like, hanging out in the clubhouse afterwards. And you're like, hey, we just got no hit. Are you kidding me? And I remember, like, hanging out in the shower, coming out of the shower. I'm like, hey, man, did you get any hits today? And they look at me like I had 10 heads. <laughs> like, it's just a joke. We'll get them tomorrow. Yeah, you, you were known to drop a joke in times where maybe there shouldn't have been a joke drop. I, 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 I keep I, it light. Yeah, I keep it light. I can't even be mad at that, though, because I, I was – I was on four teams that got no hit. So uh, oh the first one was in, I was with Milwaukee uh, and, and, of course, Verlander's on the mound. This is young Verlander, too. So, uh, he oh, because he had the old version so much worse. <laughs> Touche. Good point. Good point. It's pretty much the same guy. Uh, probably with a little more, with a little bit more velo. Maybe not, because I mean he's still throwing upwards of ninety-eight miles per hour. But I, I remember the the one at bat that stood out to me. I didn't, I didn't play in this game. It was it was an American League game, so uh, you know my 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 skill set wasn't needed that day. Uh, I just remember, you know, in Detroit, you sometimes you get those seagulls that come on the field, mm-hmm. and 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 early in the game, might have been the third inning. Tony Graffanito's up. He's battling Justin Verlander. And right as he throws a ball, one of the seagulls decides to fly, like, right in the ball path. And <laughs> the funny part, I think it was a slider that went away from a right-hand hitting uh, Tony Graffinito. He actually swung at the bird that went broke the other way. It broke towards his towards the right-hand side. He swung really? at the bird, thinking that it was the baseball. <laughs> and, you know, that it, we were very upset until we realized, oh, we're being no-hit anyway. So, yeah, exactly. I guess it doesn't really matter. And I... I was later no hit on a team that got no hit by Jonathan Sanchez with the Giants. I was a part of uh, the Mariners combined no hitter where they beat us when I was with the Dodgers. And then uh, Josh Beckett threw a no hitter against Philadelphia when I was there. So, uh, yeah, I've been a part of four of them. It's not 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 necessarily the best thing that. Uh, yeah, I remember that one Beckett. It was a day game uh, yes. in Philadelphia when he was when Beckett was with the Dodgers. Yeah, yeah, it's one of his. I think it was. I think it might have been his last year actually. Yeah. Uh, Ben, obviously, this weekend uh, is a big weekend in baseball. Baseball Hall of Fame uh, will have their induction ceremonies on Sunday. Uh, Roy Holiday, Harold Baines, Mike Bucina, and Mariano Rivera will all go in. Uh, I only had experience against Roy Holiday. I, I had a little success. Um, this, Roy Holiday was one of the toughest at-bats that I remember ever having. And and to be honest, I was 3 for 6 on him, but all three of those hits were his fault. He just let me off the hook. I, think, I don't know mm-hmm. if he felt sorry for me or not because <laughs> the, the previous two at-bats, I mean, he carved me up with cutters. You know, he had that two-way fastball. He cut a ball on you, he'll sink a ball on you. And he had me in all kinds of not For whatever reason, he tried to trick me with a breaking ball, and it, I was like, thank God. I, I don't have to walk back to this dugout without swinging the bat. And I found a way to get three hits. But I couldn't imagine have ever facing a guy like Mike Bucina, who basically was throwing a wiffle ball, and mm-hmm. a guy like Mariana Rivera, who could tell you what was coming, and you still couldn't hit it with that 96, 97-mile-per-hour cutter. Yeah, when we were facing uh, Mike Bucina in Seattle, and I wasn't a guy – obviously, my offensive production was limited. I wasn't a guy that hit 
pitches with depth real well. So whether that be a, an overhand curveball, whether that be a split finger, balls that would go you know basically north to south, anything right. with a little bit of lat- latitude, I, I was okay. Uh, not great, but I did better than pitches with depth. And we're playing we're playing the Yankees one time in Seattle, and Machina threw like a complete game. He was really on his game. Um, ended up getting four bats against them and managed a double down the right field line. I hit a double down the right field line on the fastball. And you know Machina's knuckle curve, right? That's, yes. That's what he was known for. And I, being so fearful of the knuckle curve, I let a couple fastballs go by earlier in the game because I was looking, you know, why would you look for a pitch you can't hit anyway? That's how good an offensive player I was. <laughs> <You know? laughs> All right. So it's like, you know, fastball fast just pump me with fastball and finally i just said i'm turning it loose i got a fastball and i rifled it down the right field line for a double and then years after that i'm in camp with the yankees and i'm in camp with mike messina and we're getting there we're sitting there talking we're doing a crossword puzzle or something and we were talking about everything pennsylvania him being another keystone stater mm-hmm. and i asked i said moose you know one game we played you guys, I said, I had four bats against you, and you never threw me one knuckle curve. I said, I was looking for it, trying to sit on it, maybe get one up and, and try and drive it out of the ballpark. I said, you never threw me one. I said, why did you never throw me one? And he looks at me and he goes, well, I didn't think I had to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll make you feel real small there. Huh? I go, Okay. <laughs> That makes sense. That makes sense, Mike. Yeah. It's like, well, I see your point. I see your point. But talking about putting me in my place. But he didn't say it like egotistically. It was like, you know, Just matter of fact, yeah. yeah, how they bust each other's chops. It was, yeah. it was very funny, something I'll never forget. But, uh, you know, being able to catch Mariano in camp with those same Yankees for a couple of years, um, it was it was unbelievable. I mean, just the, the movement that he would have. We went into one game where I actually caught him in a spring training game, and he, he – we were going. I warned him up in the bullpen. It was cutter, 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 and it's so late and it's nasty and it's heavy and it's moving. I mean, it just—it's unbelievable. And we go into the ball game and we're walking into the game and he goes all sinkers and changeups. And I look at him. I go, "Are you serious? <laughs> like you're just gonna shove the knuckle curveball?" Uh, no, no. This is this is Mariano. Oh, this is Mariano. Mariano. Okay, yeah, Mariano. So I'm, so I take him to the ball game and he goes all sinkers and and changeups. Oh, so he's just she's shelving the cover then. I got you. Sinkers and changeups. Okay. He started running these two seamers in on these righties and just blowing bats up. I mean, it was unbelievable. Then a lefty came up and he threw him like three straight changeups. The guy was way out in front. Last one bounced, I blocked and threw out. And he came up, and Mariano was obviously one of the nicest human beings you could ever meet. And we got in the dugout and I looked at him. He looks at me and he just starts laughing. And I go, I go, yeah, it's real funny. I said, you forget about that cutter you have? And he's like, I just want to work on a few things. And you know, I said, work on a few things. You never even threw that. That's not even. That's not even fair. Because it's for like not. the first twelve years of his career, all he threw was cutters. Now all of a sudden, he breaks out the sinker. It's like, okay, this is this is clearly well, you're toying yeah. with us at this. One point. guy, one guy, he would throw said sinker to is Edgar Martinez, who will also be going in the Hall of Fame. That's right. Uh, that's right. This, this year, and a teammate of mine for three years, just a just a joy to watch hit, um, but. Edgar owned him. I mean, owned Mariano Rivera until Mariano started throwing because he would just go out over the plate and poke a ball to right field, double home run, whatever. And then he he was just diving. Then Mariano got tired of him diving, so he started throwing that sinker in on the you know underneath the hands of Edgar, blowing his bat up. Then he had started to have you know combat that uh, what Edgar was able to do to him. But um, Edgar was what a joy to to be in the clubhouse yeah. with and. Um, he was another guy, much like your father, that was a you know Louisville slugger guy, 
uh, Ash guy. Mm-hmm. His bats, Tony, had to be between 30.5 and 30.8 ounces. He would send them back if they were. He would send them back. And that's yeah. right. I remember my dad telling me that. They, they, you know, those two mad scientists, when it comes to the bat, man, they, they, didn't, they didn't play around with their tools at all. They, those two got the best number. <laughs> and rightfully so. Rightfully so. For, between them, they had 10 batting titles be ten, between them. If you're for, they, from, <laughs> For my first for my first three seasons uh, in the minor leagues, I had my dad order my bats personally with his signatron. I was like, whatever you're getting, I want to be able to to to, to ride the uh, ride your back on on a little bit of this for as much long mm-hmm. as I can. After about the third year, Louisville Slugger figured out what was going on. So like, this, this guy isn't even playing anymore, and he's ordering bats like every other week. So, <laughs> but listen, I, I want to encourage everybody uh, if you have a chance. Take yourself, your family out to this, out to the Hall of Fame. It is one of the best experiences uh, going out to Cooperstown. Yeah. Uh, and just experience it. If you can't get to the actual ceremony, so be it. But just go down there. Go to the museum. I went for the first time ever last year. And it, it I'm not going to lie, it's, it's overwhelming. If you love baseball the way I do, it is overwhelming to walk through there and see just the history uh, that is in Cooperstown. Yeah, they've done it right up there. It's such a... A quaint little town. People think it's like this big, you know, metropolis. It's a, the smallest little American town you could ever be in. Yeah. And it's just you go to it's the the museum is right, and they've really done it well. You take the tours, and oh man, it was, it was incredible. A couple of years ago, we went up there, and you know, I still have the same photo. My I was holding Babe Ruth's bat. They make you put the white gloves on, and yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah. my son was you know holding Babe Ruth's bat as well. It's just it's just a, a joy to to be up there and, and see the history of our great game. Jeff Blum, who spent 14 years in the majors and hit the game-winning home run in Game 3 of the 2005 World Series to help the White Sox win their first World Series title in 88 years. He's now the Astros TV analyst on AT&T Sportsnet Southwest. You can follow him on Twitter at Blummer27. Sorry, at Blummer27. Jeff, thanks for coming on. No, it's good to be on with you guys. Uh, A couple of familiar names and uh, opponents, man. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know. It's been a minute. Um, you get to watch this Astros ball club play just about every day. And, um, you know, I, I have them in the, my top four teams in all of baseball. They can beat you in, in so many different ways. What do you think they do in particular that really sets them apart from other opponents? Um, there's a couple of things on both sides of the baseball. When they're going well and they're at full strength, their defense is really good. And that just only enhances what uh, Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, and Wade Miley have been doing. I know that the uh, last third of the rotation hasn't been very good, and they're trying to put pieces together to try and figure that out. But we all know that you know, the month of July is that time where they go out and try and put pieces together or find that piece that will complete their rotation. So I expect the Astros to do that. But what the Astros have done in bringing in Garrett Cole and uh, Justin Verlander, Ryan Presley, Roberto Osuna on the pitching side, they've done a good job of making good pitchers that much better. And I think that's been a lot of fun for me to watch because I already knew that some of these guys were good. They had the name equity inside the game, and they were all-stars. Yet the Astros find a way with with the information, the analytics, and the mechanics to be able to make these guys that much better at the swing and miss. Uh, And in this day and age, that's a good thing if you're able to miss some barrels and get uh, the strikeouts. And then on the other side, you've got to have a good offense. And these guys, for me, the most impressive thing is that they're very good athletes, and they have the power, but the thing for me is that they don't strike out a lot. Yeah. For a team who has as much power as they do, basically one through nine, they do such a good job of laying off pitches outside the zone and forcing pitchers back inside the zone. 
And you know as well as I do, fellas, when you're hitting and you're forcing a pitcher to be fine with their pitches, you have a tendency to get more mistakes because it's really tough to be fine, and that's what leads to these guys launching some balls out of the ballpark. Jeff, you talked about the the pitching staff, and you've gone a little bit over the offense. One of my favorite players to watch in this league, besides Mike Trout, is George Springer. Uh, He's recently been able to come back after a, a hamstring injury. Talk a little bit about this guy. He kind of brings he's your, your five-tool type of guy, uh, but you don't hear his name a lot when you talk about some of the better, better players in this league. I'm with you, and I, I am a huge fan of George Springer, and it's been a lot of fun for me now sitting up in that booth and hearing about George Springer coming up through the, uh, you know, through the minor leagues, developing, and then eventually getting to the big leagues because the year before he became a, a, a major league baseball player, he was almost a 40-40 guy down there yeah. in AAA for the Astros, so we had high expectations of him. And the first couple of years in the league, he just overwhelmed the baseball. Just, you know, high leg kick, putting everything he had into the swing. He was hitting 450-foot bombs, so we were just, like, overwhelmed with what this guy could do as far as his physical ability to kind of take over some games at time. The only, the only time we really saw some weakness is when he overswung. Right. And I think, you know, the more that George has matured, and the more he's been around this Astros big league coaching staff, they've kind of toned him down a little bit. And I only mean that in the sense that they've kind of, you know, made his head stay still. He's not taking that egregious, massive hack trying to hit the ball as far as he can. I think George is starting to understand that he is good enough to tone down the swing, take a little bit less of a leg kick, keep that head still, see the ball a little bit longer, and hit the ball out the other way because he – you know, it's interesting you say he doesn't get talked about much, but he's one of the strongest guys in baseball that I know no because we just saw a series out in Anaheim where he hit uh, three of his four home runs in a four-game series going the other way with three of those home runs. So he has power to all fields. And I'm with you, uh, Tony. This guy, he, I mean, he doesn't get talked about a lot, but he deserves a lot more attention. And we saw in 2017 yeah. he could take over a World Series. Yeah, no doubt. Jeff, we you talk about some of the, the – the egos on this ball club and it doesn't seem like they have a bunch but you know how a big league ball player can kind of maybe be full of themselves at times or or feel like they're a prima donna or they they're owed something you have a lot of personalities on that ball club a lot of perennial all-stars aj hinch in my opinion does such a good job of really corralling those egos and getting everybody really to pull on the rope in the same direction Absolutely. A.J. Hinch is, is uh, the linchpin that really keeps these guys motivated. And to your point, Ben, is, you know, it kind of changed from when we were playing until now what managers, you know, it was, it was this dictatorship, I feel like, when we played, where the manager, you know, sent his fist down, put a lineup up, and you go out and do your job. Mm-hmm. Now it's kind of turned into a little more, uh, you know, how do you massage these guys and get them in the right frame of mind and in the right position to go out there and perform? And A.J. Hinch has done a very good job, and I think he learned a lot in this first go-around with the Arizona Diamondbacks in how to manage and what he did wrong. And He's really completely adapted his style to being more individual-based. Yes, when the game starts, you've got to be that manager that manages all aspects of the game, but it's what he does internally that really fascinates me, and I talk to him a lot about it, is you know, he's got to know how to get Roberto Osuna ramped up and ready to go on a daily basis. How does he do that? He knows exactly which buttons to push or how to motivate a guy. Uh, Alex Bregman is a unique individual. He knows exactly how to how to motivate Alex and get him in the right position. And if he starts getting a little too cocky, he can bring him back down to earth 
And uh, that's where I think the modern-day manager has really changed a little bit. Instead of being that overarching father of the entire ball club, he's more of an individual father-brother type guy inside the clubhouse who really has to understand each guy individually uh, you know, on a daily basis in order to get him to go out there. Because you know, you know, we all know that the computer can spit out numbers but that individual on a daily basis throughout the course of the season, that's who you got to manage. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. Jeff, it, it seems like the game started to change, at least managers started to change uh, from that dictatorship, as you mentioned, to more of individualizing as the game went to more depth. And the Astros are one of the teams, much like the Dodgers, that have a lot of depth. And, and one of these guys is, is Jake Marisnik. And, and he had an incident uh, a couple weeks back where – he ran into a catcher. There was some retaliation. And I got to tell you, watching on TV and how he handled that situation, I thought couldn't have been handled better. That situation could have been escalated so much more if Jake Marisnik wasn't handling it the way he has. Talk a little bit about that situation because he was the main guy defusing his own teammates uh, when you know things started to get hot a little bit. Yeah, it was truly remarkable because, you know, we, all of us have been in the heat of battle and, you know, it, it, sometimes the emotion takes over the game a little bit and then you add the ego to it and some of that machismo that guys have and you want to have that and you want to portray that image of being that stronger, overwhelming type that nothing phases you. But I think Jake, Jake did a very good job of showing humility in the situation. Yeah. He explained what he felt happened in that play and I believe, Jake, you know, that things sped up on him a little bit. LaCroix got in a bad position. Jake was in a bad position. And he took ownership of what he did. I mean, he yeah. was a great example of going out, playing hard, maybe making a mistake, so to speak, in this era of where you can't go in and take out the catcher. He apologized. He was immediately remorseful. You saw him on the field when he went to LaCroix first to see how he was doing. And then the aftermath, you know, some of the repercussions were the Angels were upset. The Angels fan base were upset. And, you know, it's crazy how baseball works where it puts Jake Marisnik in a position where, you know, 10 days after the incident, he has to go into, uh, you know, foreign territory or the other the opponent's turf and have not only the, the ire of the Angels but the ire of the fan base. So when he first walked out of the dugout, to that, that first A.B. on the second game of that series, he got booed relentlessly. And he's a Southern California guy, so he probably had a right. ton of family and friends in there. And he went out there, played the game hard, played the game right, knew he might have had gotten, knew he was going to have the opportunity to get hit. And even when he got hit up around that neck shoulder area, he took it like a champ and said, you know yeah, what, that's good. He understood the game of baseball and said, that was retribution for what you felt I did to your ball player. That's it. It's over with. Let's move on. And Albert, and Albert Pujols kind of stirred the pot a little bit listening to the Astros' dugout. Jake took it a step further and went to his own players and said, yeah. no, guys, back off. Let's let's shut this thing down. It's over with. Let's move on and play the game. But Jake handled it amazingly well. In, in today's game, I just was I was blown away. You just don't see guys with the, the, the mental capacity to understand what's going on and to be able to react in the right way. I, I – Hats off to Jake for that. It was, it was truly awesome. Yeah, it was truly professional is what it was. Yeah. Blower, well, one last question for you. We, we wanted to, you know, as I said, I, I think that the Astros are in top four teams in all of baseball. If they were able to get to the World Series, it's going to be a tough road. If they're able to get there, who do you think, whether that be in the National League or the American League, who do you think poses the biggest threat to the Houston Astros? 
Um, I would say the New York Yankees, uh, and, and multiple reasons why. Just because you know they can go out and tear the cover off the baseball, they do have a tendency to swing and miss with the with, and it's just a matter of the Astros being able to exploit that. But I think in 2017, and granted, both teams are a little bit older. The Astros learned their lesson from 2017, but I still kind of had that lingering uh, emotion in watching them go to Yankee Stadium and playing in a tough environment and getting you know swept three games on the road that's a little concerning to me when they go out there and play and their road numbers this year have, have dropped a little bit have, compared to what they have been in the past so that's an issue for me but i just the threat of having to be perfect as a pitcher when you're facing the new york yankees concerns me a little bit because we know what they can do when they may make mistakes and it's the back end of the bullpen for me for the new york yankees if they have that lead they are shut down yeah. when they come out of that bullpen yeah. And that could create issues even for a team like the Houston Astros. But as good as the Dodgers are on the National League side, I think the real test for the Astros in order to get to the World Series will be the New York Yankees. Jeff, one more question before we let you get out of here. Obviously, uh, you had Harold Baines as a teammate, and you faced all three of these guys that are going into the Hall of Fame. Uh, give us your, your experience with Harold Baines and, and versus the other uh, three Hall of Famers that are going in. Well, luckily I was a National League guy, so I had minimal at-bats against Mariano Rivera and Mike Mussina. These guys, uh, you know, true competitors. When you say competitor, you know, Mike Mussina is one of the guys that steps out, you know, kind of stands out for me um, as far as what he's able to do with the baseball because he wasn't overwhelming. He was able to slide it. He was able to curve it, get it in there, and, and try and miss your barrel. But thank God I didn't have to face Mariano Rivera because it might have been a little bit different career path for me if I had to face that guy on a nightly basis. Um, I faced him a couple times in spring training, which just absolutely destroyed me. He could it, it was like everybody else. He could tell you what he was throwing, and he'd still find a way to get you out. Uh, Roy Holiday, uh, another guy that I've, I've never seen a guy create so much movement in such a short amount of time from his hand to the plate with his sinking fastball, and uh, he had a four-seamer he could get up in the zone. The the ability to outthink me at the plate was a lot of fun to uh, watch him do against me, <laughs> but uh, those guys deserve it. Having Harold Baines as a first-base coach with the Chicago White Sox was a true pleasure. One of the more you know, great hitters, he was one of the guys that I think all of us kind of watched growing up because he had such a unique stance in that far back portion of the mm-hmm. batter's box and mm-hmm. just launching into the baseball. And, and being able to drive it gap to gap, he was a lot of fun because, uh, you know, you get down to first base and you're like, man, Harold, I'm fighting my brains out. And he goes, why weren't you sitting on that slider? Why weren't you sitting on that fastball? You know, those guys that are in the Hall of Fame just had a different mentality in the box, and Harold Baines was one of those guys. But he was one of the more humble guys, too. He was a lot of fun to be around. I'm glad he got in. Blumber, I had one at bat against Mariano Rivera, and they made me butt against him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, being right? in there for the left side, it was a sacrifice. But yeah, I, it was at Yankee Stadium, and I had to bunt against them. And it was, you know, you got that That's cutter right bearing right. down on you. I got it down, but my God, I was terrified in that box. I'm like, <laughs> I get one at bat against the greatest reliever ever, and I got to lay down a butt. But uh, it was, it was terrifying. But I was able to catch him in, in two spring trainings with the Yankees. I was in camp with them for two years, and just catching his bullpens. Honestly, my I know it was just a bullpen. It was one of the most fun things I've ever done uh, on a baseball diamond or in a bullpen. It was just, I mean, he's just blessed. That ball would get about 10 feet out from home plate and just go left. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Well, Jeff Blunt, we appreciate you coming on. Um, best of luck this season with the Astros and your broadcast. And uh, we just really appreciate you coming on with Tony Gwynn Jr. and myself. And, and we wish you the best of luck in the future.
Thank you, Jeff. No, I appreciate. Yeah, I appreciate being on with you guys. I love being able to talk baseball with guys that uh, I played against. Man, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Please. Absolutely. Thanks. That does it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening to Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball Players Edition, presented by Radio.com Sports. You can su- you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast by searching Big Time Baseball. You can also find us on Twitter at RDC Sports. Until next time, Tony Gwynn Jr., Ben Davis. Catch you next week. This has been a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.